please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Book of Hebrews, chapter 11. John Gardner, a famous author, wrote this one time. He wrote, We are faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as unsolvable problems. As a leader in Israel after Moses' death, Joshua had a bunch of disguised opportunities, if you will. He had to, uh, he had to lead this nation, a fledgling nation of that, of refugee slaves, out of the wilderness, across the Jordan River, and into the Promised Land, that happened to be filled with a bunch of evil people and very large people as well. The first disguised opportunity was to conquer this heavily fortified city called Jericho with these impregnable walls. Matter of fact, there were two walls, and they were over 40 foot tall, massive. They were over two feet thick. A massive fortress that was impregnable. It stood like a beacon at the south end of the land of Canaan as this impregnable fortress that just no army could defeat. And so God gave Joshua the plan for victory. He said, by faith, these walls will come crumbling down. Meanwhile, inside the city, there was a prostitute who had a huge disguised opportunity as well. She had heard how God had miraculously delivered his people out of Egypt 40 years before. And she had heard uh, how they had defeated two powerful kings on the other side of the Jordan River. And she knew that her city was next. And she knew that all of her family would perish unless somehow the God of the Jews, the God of heaven and earth, would intervene on her behalf. Then the impossible happened. Two spies from that feared people actually came to lodge with her or to stay or to hide with her, actually, is what they were trying to do. She hid from the king's men. They promised to spare her family and her if she followed their directions. And by faith, she and her family did not perish when that city was destroyed. And these two stories took place during the conquest of Jericho, and they illustrate by faith. By faith, we have the courage to trust God and his promises for both victory and deliverance. By faith, we have the courage to trust God and his promises for both victory and deliverance and deliverance. Now, true faith, my friends, is always demonstrated through courage. Any faith that ceases to be relevant once the trials start coming in your life is really antithetical to true saving faith. We saw that earlier in Hebrews, when in chapters 3 and 4, when we talked about unbelief and how they wandered and how the Lord called their disobedience unbelief, and that they would not enter into his rest because of their unbelief. 
And if you recall, we talked about the parable of the soils. Do you remember Jesus' parable of the soils, right? The seed falls on the hard path, right? And then, uh, and then the rocky soil. And it was specifically the rocky soil that we talked about where the seed had fallen. They had received the word for a while. And it looks like their profession of faith was genuine. But then there was a testing of their faith. Uh, that testing of faith comes along, but the hearer does not have a firm root. They have a shallow root system or a shallow faith, if you will. And so when trouble comes, because of the shallowness of that hearer's faith, they fall away. So they claim to have faith. They claim to have true saving faith, but it was only as good as things were going well in their lives. But as soon as things started getting a little rocky, well, the root system of their faith was very shallow. And so they were swept away. They fell away. Again, that's our word, apostasy. They fell away. To take a stand for your faith, my friends, takes real courage. So let's look at some of those who were tested and demonstrated that kind of faith. The kind of courage that true faith possesses. And we're going to find that in verses 30 and 31 of Hebrews chapter 11. Our text picks up at the entrance to the land of Canaan, the promised land. They have also crossed the Jordan River by now, which was another monumental task. And now they're located on the other side of the Jordan River, and they're poised to begin their conquest. But right away, again, there's another test of their faith, and this time it is this city called Jericho, this virtual fortress that stands between them and the promised land. What will the people do? Are they going to believe God when God tells them what he wants them to do? What will he ask them to do? will seem like an impossible task. It'll seem ridiculous. It'll seem to not make sense at all. It'll seem impossible, if you will. It's one of the cities that scared the spies and caused them to say back in Deuteronomy 1, verse 28, the people is greater and taller than we are, and the cities are great and walled up to the heaven. Remember when the spies came back and all but Caleb and Joshua? This is what they said. And of course, because of their unbelief, they had to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. But what will they do this time? This is a completely new generation. How will they respond when God puts this impossible task before them? Will their faith give them the courage needed to respond to God's will? That's what we want to look at here this morning. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time together in his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you again for the gathering of these dear saints. And I pray, Lord, that we'd have open hearts and open minds to your truth, that we would put away the distractions of the world. Put away anything, Lord, but a focus in on your truth. And Father, as your word tells us, we don't just want to be hearers of the word, we want to be doers of the word. We want to, Lord, respond in a way that brings you honor and glory. We want to apply your truth to our life, 
Lord, and not just sit there and think, well, this will be good for somebody else. That's not how your word works. So, Father, convict us if we need convicted. Encourage us if we need encouraged. Rebuke us if we need rebuked. Lord, your spirit, your word, guide us to accomplish your will for your honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's look again, shall we, at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. And then we're going to go to the book of Joshua shortly after. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Point number one, by faith, my friends in your notes, by faith, we have the courage to face the impossible obstacles in life. By faith, we have the courage to face the impossible obstacles in life. Now, you may recall that Joshua was was uh, thinking about how to take that walled city when the Lord appeared to Joshua in the form of the captain of the Lord's army. And we find that actually in the book of Joshua, chapter 5. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the next book is Joshua. Joshua. Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, No, rather I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, keep going here in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now, Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out, no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. Here's the plan, Joshua. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Then he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, let the armed men go on before the Ark of the Lord. And it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blew the trumpets, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priest who blew the trumpets. The rear guard came after the ark while they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, not let your voice be heard, not let a word proceed out of your mouth 
until the day I tell you, shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once. Then they came into the camp and spent the night in camp. Now Joshua rose early in the morning. The priest took up the ark of the Lord, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets, the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. Went on continually, blew the trumpets. Our men went before them. The rear guard came after when they continued to blow the trumpets. Thus the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did so for six days. Then on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawning of the day, marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day, they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So again, the Israelites were to march around the city once a day for six days with the tabernacle while the seven priests blew on the ram's horns. And on the seventh day, they were to circle it seven times. Then when Joshua gave the signal, the priests were to blow the ram's horns. The people were to shout. The walls of the city would crumble. The Israeli soldiers then would march straight ahead into the city and take it. Now, I want you to remember here for just a second that the children of Israel had not exercised a lot of faith during that wilderness wandering. In fact, the earlier generation wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unbelief. So it's quite noticeable that when God brings a new generation into the land of Canaan, what's the first thing he does? Well, let's test your faith. Your parents did not do quite as well, or the previous generation, your forefathers did not do quite as well. Let's see where your faith is. Notice they couldn't just say, well, I have faith. God is going to test their faith. He's going to test their courage to, uh, to act upon their faith. Matter of fact, the previous generation had forfeited the promised land because they had no faith. The generation that's going to inherit the promised land is tested in the, the, its faith the minute it's about to enter the land. The Lord says, not so fast. The people of God are required to believe that somehow God is going to bring down this powerful city of Jericho, which no other military army had been able to do at that point in time, and they were going to do it not by building a siege ramp, not by training for years and years in hand-to-hand combat, not by practicing their archery, not by building a catapult. No, no, they weren't going to do it that way. The Lord had a different plan for them. As a matter of fact, the military is just going to march. Somehow, God is going to bring down the walls. And so we learn in this passage yet another aspect of faith. One thing that true saving faith does is that it's a faith that believes that God can do the impossible. Amen? It believes that God can do the things that we don't think are possible to do. Of course, as we've seen, the faith needs to be correlated into action, and that action that's required to face that impossible task by faith uh, and then exercise courage to do exactly what God had told them to do. True faith has the courage to believe God in impossible conflict with impossible instructions and incredible promises. But that's what true saving faith is. 
And the experience at Jericho is an illustration of that kind of faith. To do what seems ridiculous, unnecessary, maybe even foolish by worldly standards. But that's exactly what God is going to call them to do. Of course, by telling this story again, the author of Hebrews is reminding the group of Christians here of the importance of them believing in things that can't be seen also. And believing in promises that have not yet been fulfilled. And he's saying, think of your forefathers who marched around that city believing that God would bring down the walls. Believing that God would conquer the people. Believing that God would would, uh, tear those walls down when others had failed. Even though they were not going to organize any sort of military conquest. And he's saying, now you... You follow that same example. Your faith needs to be that kind of faith. And see, that applies to us today, doesn't it? You need to believe that God can do the impossible. That just because it looks like it's impossible in your mind doesn't mean that it's impossible for God. As a matter of fact, the Word of God tells us nothing is impossible. Now, I want you to notice something very important here as we seek to apply this to our lives today. Notice back in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, God said he was going to give them the city. This is what God said to Joshua before he even gave him the plan. He says, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Notice the past tense. I have delivered They haven't even started yet. He hasn't even told them what the plan is. He's just said, I've already delivered them. Not, I will deliver. God speaks of Jericho as I haven't already been defeated. And that's the key point. God is saying, it's a done deal. These walls are coming down. It's just a matter of time. And in a very real sense, the battle was over before it even started. God promised to deliver the city. And in due course, he made good on his promise. What was the key to victory for the Israelites? Faith indeed. But I want you to notice something else. Did you notice when I was reading from Joshua chapter 6 that God put himself in the middle of the battle plan? Did you see that? It's really easy to kind of gloss over that real quickly. God put himself in the middle of the battle plan by having the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant as they marched around the city. Remember, he had a front guard and he had a rear guard, but who was in the middle? God was in the middle. Matter of fact, the Ark is a symbol of the presence of God. So as they were marching around, it was a constant reminder that God is the one who's going to be doing this. God is the one who's going to be fighting this battle. God is here with us. God's in the midst of this battle with us. Remember, the ark, again, represents the very presence of God. And putting that ark out front was like God saying, I got this. I got it. All normal military options are now off the table. It's God and the people. You don't even need to sharpen your spears. You don't need to polish your armor. You're not going to need it. By faith, we have the courage to face the impossible obstacles in our lives. How do we do that? Because we know God 
is in the midst of the battle with us. My friends, some of you are in the midst of some pretty big battles right now. Maybe it's a battle to forgive. Maybe it's a battle in a relationship with somebody that you care deeply about. Maybe it's a physical battle that you're battling right now. Maybe it's a disease that you're battling. Maybe it's a long-term illness that just doesn't seem to be making any headway. Whatever your battle is, the Word of God comes to you today and tells you, by faith, you have the courage to face these impossible obstacles. How are you going to do that? Because you know that God is in the midst of that battle with you, brothers and sisters. It's not just you in your own personal strength. God is with you. And this is now the time when you claim those promises, when God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am here with you, lo, until the end of the age. God tells you whatever trial you are facing is such as common to man, but God is faithful. He's in the middle of it with you. He won't give you more than you can handle, and he'll always provide a way out. See, those are the kind of promises that you want to cling to when you're in the midst of one of these things. When you're in the midst of one of those impossible obstacles in your life and you just can't seem to figure out how you're going to get past this. God is saying, I'm in the midst of the battle with you, beloved. I'm here with you and we'll get through this. Point number two in your notes. We have the courage to obey and to wait. We have the courage to obey and to wait. Now, marching your army around a heavily fortified city for seven days while blowing trumpets is probably not on any military action plan that I could think of. That's probably not going to be something that you would say, this is going to be an excellent game. Oh, why didn't I think of this? We, we, I feel so foolish. We, I should have been able to come up with this one myself. It must have seemed silly to many in Israel and to everyone inside Jericho. If Joshua had held meetings with his top commanders, I'm sure none of them would have suggested that this would be the right plan to follow. Some might have argued for maybe a more direct assault or building a siege ramp or battering rams or something to overpower the city. Someone else may have said, hey, why don't we just wait it out and try and starve them to death? All of those things in a logical, rational sense in our minds would say that makes a lot more sense than marching around the city each day. No one. No one would have suggested what God commanded Joshua to do. Now, why did God choose this strange approach? I want to offer you a couple of reasons why I think that God offered this way. First of all, I think he wanted to teach Israel a major lesson at the outset of their conquest of Canaan. That victory comes not when we trust in ourselves, but when we trust totally in the Lord. That's when the victory comes. Those repeated trips around Jericho serve to kind of drive home the lesson. You will not conquer this city in your own strength. You will not overcome this impossible obstacle in your own strength. And so let me march you around the city today and tomorrow 
and the next day. I want to keep reminding you that you don't have the strength to get through this yourself. You need to depend on me to get through this. But notice also that faith and obedience are inseparable. Genuine, true, saving faith obeys God. Israel could have said, well, that's an interesting plan, Joshua. We believe that God could do it that way, but we're going to try a more sensible approach here. But instead, to obey God, they had to march silently around the city once a day for six days. And then the seventh day, when Joshua told them to march around us seven times, can you imagine there may have been some groans? Okay, let's load up again. Time to march around the city, day three, day four, day five. Each time around the city took between 30 minutes to an hour, depending on which commentary you read. So the seventh time took at least three and a half hours. Just to remind you that this was not a five-minute trip. By the seventh day, some could have been grumbling under their breath. This is dumb. I mean, nothing's happening yet. If any said that, it's certainly not recorded in Scripture. They obeyed what God had commanded them to do. And when they shouted, the walls came crashing down. I want you to take note of a couple things as we look again to applying this for our own lives. Note, even though we have the courage to obey God, we also have the, to have the courage to wait upon God's plan. Each day. I mean, why didn't God just say, march around Jericho once, blow the trumpet, shout, the walls will fall down. Could God have done that? Yes, but that's not what he did. Every night, they would have marched back to camp thinking, did we get, okay, did we do anything today? I mean, it took us four hours to get all gathered together, and then we marched and got in formation, and then we took us 30 minutes to an hour to walk around, and then we, we went back to camp again. This is the fourth day, or the fifth day, or the sixth day. Same thing, same thing, same thing. Tomorrow, we're supposed to march around to seven times. We're going to be marching for three and a half hours. Are we getting anything done here? But see, each day tested their faith. Each day that victory was delayed, the test increased in intensity. Each day that your impossible obstacle that you're facing in your life doesn't find a solution, your faith is tested a little more, isn't it? It's, it's like a laser. It starts off, you know, and it just narrows, 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 narrows down until what are you going to do when you face this impossible task in your life? When you're called to respond and do what God wants you to do, even though you don't think you can do it in your own strength. Guess what? You're right. You can't. You need him. Will you respond in faith? Because each day, each day you face that long-term illness. Each time you go to another doctor's appointment, each time that you are in that relationship and you battle with each other, each time you see that person that you just have a hard time forgiving in your heart, every time that that happens, your faith is tested. How will you respond? Are you going to obey what God says? And are you going to wait for him? Or are you just going to try and do it in your own strength? Maybe they heard jeers from those on the walls or watch, you're watching this daily parade with no weaponry. 
Maybe the jeers tempted them to take action to silence those, but they didn't. They waited for God's timing. So faith is demonstrated in obedience, the kind of obedience that has courage. By faith, we have the courage to face the impossible obstacles in our life. By faith, we have the courage to obey and wait. Obey and wait. Let's look at the verse 31, shall we, as we meet our second person in our story. By faith, Hebrews chapter 11, Rahab the harlot did not perish along those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Point number three, by faith, we have the courage to believe that God can save us. By faith, we have the courage to believe that God can save us. Now, Rahab's story takes place a few chapters earlier in chapter two of Joshua. We don't have time to go through and read all of that for you today, but I would encourage you to go back and read uh, read that. Before Israel crossed the Jordan River to conquer Jericho, Joshua spent two spies to check out the city and to give him a report back. And when the spies came into the city, I'm giving you the paraphrase version here. When the spies came into the city, they stopped at the house of a harlot named Rahab and planned on staying the night there, believing they would be undetected there. Lots of people would be going in and out. Nobody asked a lot of questions in those kind of places. And so it was like this is a perfect place for spies to hide. But somehow the king of Jericho heard about the spies at Rahab's house. And he sent messengers demanding that she turn them over. She lied to the messengers and said they had already left. And she hid the spies that night. She hid them and told them that all the people had heard about the Red Sea parting and the Israelites conquering the Amorites. Joshua chapter 2, verse 11 says, And as soon as they heard these things, she said, Our hearts melted. In other words, we know we're about to face that same fate. We're about to face the judgment of God. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord... Your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. She knew the Israelites were bringing the judgment of God, and she asked that her and her family would be spared. But from a Jewish perspective, she seems like a very unlikely candidate for salvation, my friends. First of all, she was a woman, which at that point in time they thought, Secondly, she was a Canaanite, not good either, in their mind, a Jewish perspective. Most importantly at all, she was a prostitute. Except for Moses' mother and Abraham's wife, Sarah, incidentally, Rahab is the only other woman listed in chapter 11's Hall of Faith. Interesting that she would be here with Moses' mother and Abraham's wife. But there she is. And even though Rahab was an unlikely candidate for salvation, God's grace reached down to her. The mere fact that she's called Rahab the harlot, even after conversion, underscores God's abundant grace for his lost sinners. 
The spies didn't know that when they went there, that God had a mission for them besides spying, but he sure did. And I want you to think about this for a moment. God had commanded Israel to kill everyone in Jericho. That city was under a ban. That's another whole story for you. But when God placed something under a ban, everything was to be destroyed because it was so evil. And all the spoils would go to God. Nobody, none of the soldiers, none of the, none of the warriors were allowed to take any of the spoils. Everything in there was dedicated to God. For 40 years now, the people of Jericho had heard how God had delivered Israel from Egypt when they crossed the Red Sea. For several years now, they had heard how God had defeated the Amorite kings, Sihon and Og, on the other side of the Jordan, two of the most powerful kings in the land. For the last seven days, they watched Israel march around their own city. And yet only Rahab repented. Only Rahab. Everybody else is seeing the same thing. Everybody else is in the same environment. Everybody else is in the same location. And although the city trembled with fear, as it tells us in Joshua 2.11, about this impending attack, that fear didn't lead to repentance and faith. But for Rahab, it did. Rahab's fear led her to turn from her sin and repent and turn away from her sin and to God as the one who would deliver her. The next test text tells us, by faith, she did not perish along with those who were disobedient. Many think, and I believe correctly, that Rahab had come to faith in God before the spies even arrived at her house. When God providentially brought the spies, she saw it as a means of deliverance for her and her family. And although she didn't understand much theology, she had enough faith in the one true God to save her. And her past life of sin did not disqualify her from salvation. My friends, God delights to save sinners for his glory. God delights in that. I want you to know something else as well. Her faith led her to hide the spies and send them away secretly, even though it put her life at great risk. Think of the incredible courage it must have taken for her to do that. Once again, she had to obey very specific instructions, and she had to have the courage to do so, to act upon her faith. She had to put a scarlet rope in her window and to have all of her family inside the house with her in order for them to be saved. It may have seemed ridiculous to them to watch Israel marching around the city 13 times. They may have been, they may have been tempted to join others on the wall shouting insults to the troops below, but they did not. They obeyed. They acted on their faith, and they were saved. I want you to note something else as well. Rahab's faith was not perfect in her obedience. She was still a pagan woman from a pagan culture, and it was a difficult situation when the king's messengers came to her house looking for the two spies, and she lied. And lying is a sin, even when it's for a good cause. But she was... God was gracious to take Rahab's obedient faith and give grace to her lie this one time. My friends, if you'll come to Christ in faith just as you are, he saves you, 
Then he begins his work of holiness in you. He doesn't say, fix yourself and then come to me when you're presentable. He says, come just as you are and I will transform you. He doesn't say, transform yourself and then I'll make sure I'll look you over and make sure you're okay for salvation. Then I'll let you in. That's not how salvation works. Salvation works when we realize that we are helplessly, hopelessly lost without him and that we are a sinner in need of a savior. And when we recognize that, how helplessly, hopelessly lost we are, that we have no means of getting to heaven on our own merit, we cry out to him, we repent of our sinful ways and turn to him in faith. And God saves us by grace through faith. I want you to also notice that in our text, nowhere is there any direct revelation from the Lord. We don't see the captain of the Lord's army talking to Rahab. We don't see a prophet running over and talking. We don't see any of that. Many people today are waiting for God to speak directly to them in order that they may believe. But they already have his word available to them and his revelation to them. And so there is no excuse for unbelief. Matter of fact, the Bible calls unbelief disobedience, because the gospel is a command, not a suggestion, not a recommendation. Repent and be saved. Jesus encountered many people who saw and heard of his miracles from others, but asked him to do the same miracle so that they might believe. Do you remember how Jesus would respond when people would say, hey, if you would just, if you just write something on the wall for me like you did over there, if you would just do that same miracle that I heard you did in this other city, if you, then, then I'll believe. When I can see it with my own eyes, then I'll believe. Remember what Jesus would do? Ah. He'd say, no, I'm not going to do that again. No matter what he would have done, they were seeing and hearing only what they wanted to see and hear. No additional miracle would have convinced them. Because they were lacking in faith. So Jesus refused to perform the miraculous in those situations. My friends, this story teaches us that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one. Even in the midst of judgment, God reaches out and saves a harlot who turns to him in faith. And God says, I know all about your past. I know all the things that you've done. And it doesn't matter because you believe in. But she, this harlot, is free now, and she's forgiven, and she's on the road to heaven. Some of you hearing this sermon right now, maybe you feel like you're unworthy to go to heaven. What's that sin that you're thinking about that is unforgivable in your past? Well, I have wonderful news for you, my friends. Only unworthy people go to heaven. Only unworthy people. The people who think they're worthy end up in hell. Secondly, salvation is only through the blood of Jesus Christ. If Rahab is a picture of a helpless sinner, then that scarlet cord represents the blood of Jesus shed for you. And that provides an enormous hope for all of us. And there is no pit so deep that the love of God is not still deeper yet. There is no sin so terrible that Jesus cannot forgive it. There's no stain from your past that Jesus cannot wash away white as snow. God delights to save unworthy sinners. There is no other kind, my friends. 
So let every sinner take heart and come running to Jesus. Well, we're out of time here today. Our text tells us that it is by faith the mighty walls of Jericho fell. But how will we face and conquer our own walls of impossibility, my friends? How are you going to face the impossible tasks in your life? Where do you find that faith? Well, if you were to peek ahead to the next chapter in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's where you need to look. He starts it and he finishes it. You keep your eyes on him. You look to Jesus. You trust him and his promises. And then you live your life by faith. And when Jesus leads the way, those walls, those obstacles, those impossible things in your life that you don't think you'll ever get past come crumbling down. By faith, we have the courage to face the impossible obstacles in our lives because we know Jesus is in the midst of that. By faith in him, we have the courage to obey and to wait. And by faith, we have the courage to believe that he can save us. By faith, we have the courage to trust God and his promises for both victory and deliverance. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for the reminder here from your text of just how precious faith is. And that, Lord, true saving faith, Lord, is in you. It's trusting you. It's seeking your face when we face our own walls of Jericho, when we look at an impossible obstacle in our life and wonder how in the world will we get through this. But your word is very clear. Not in our own strength, but in yours. And so, Father, today, as we have many in our midst today that are facing their own walls, whatever they may be, physical, emotional, spiritual, relationship, Lord, may they run to you. Not just walk, but run to you. And know that you are in the midst of it with them. And may they find strength in that, comfort in that, and peace that passes all understanding. Lord, you are the author and finisher of our faith. It is in you that we find our strength and our courage. So, Father, strengthen us as a body of believers. Strengthen us as we are battered down by some of these things. And may we be encouraged in you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.